heroes, and welcome to another episode of Critical Success. I'm James D'Amato, your Game Master. This week, I sit down with another game designer, Jack Norris from Green Ronin, who is one of the lead developers on the upcoming relaunch of Blue Rose. I thought my conversation with Jack about Blue Rose, a romantic fantasy game, would pair nicely with my conversation with Alex earlier last week when we talked about romance and sex. We go into a lot of detail about the game this episode, and we talk a lot about the design elements that go into it, so the only thing that I need to say at the top is that Blue Rose is on Kickstarter right now. For the next three days, you'll still be able to support this system through Kickstarter, so if our conversation interests you here, head over to Kickstarter, there's a link in the show notes, and support Blue Rose. With all that out of the way, let's talk to Jack. All right, heroes, this week I am sitting down with Jack Norris, who is one of the lead developers on Blue Rose, uh, which is coming out from Green Ronin Publishing. Jack, thank you so much for joining me. Well, thank you for having me. Jack, I like to start off with the same question for everybody, which okay. is, how long have you been gaming? Oh, wow. Um, let's see. It's 2015. Uh, I want to say it's been probably in the neighborhood of 30 years. Wow. Um, wow. I, I would say... I don't want to say 30 years exactly, but we're talking somewhere in the 28 to 32 range. Um, so yeah, definitely about three decades. Wow, so. that's, yeah, that's, uh, I think you've beaten me by two decades. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, how, how did you get start and, uh, what was your first game? You know, I think like a lot of folks, uh, my age, my, my first game was, was D&D. I don't remember exactly how I got started in the sense of like, I, you know, you know, oh my God. But I, I distinctly remember seeing it in stores. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because back then, D&D was in every, all the toy stores, all the bookstores. Wow. You could find it everywhere. Um, this was in the early days of the sort of satanic panic and everything. But that also increased the notoriety of it. And so, you know, what we, what I'd find is that I could just go in and buy a player's handbook or a, or a box set. And of course I saw it and I was like, this looks so cool. Uh, and so I picked it up and played it with my first players were like my dad and my sister. Oh, wow. And then uh, I found out that there were some folks in the neighborhood who played. And so we started playing, um, but pretty quickly from like the old basic expert set to, uh, AD and D because that was what they were. That's what other folks were playing like that had just come out. And so that's what the, the local game gamers were playing. So I, I did jump to that. And then I sort of made the dis discovery that I think a lot of people did, which is, you know, I went to a game store and I said, oh, wait, this isn't all just D&D. &D. You know, there, there's, <laughs> you know, there's, there's games on, you know, and of course, um, I've been, I've been a comic book fan mm -hmm. for probably somewhere in the neighborhood of more like 35 to 36 years. Right. So like literally since I was four or five. So as soon as I saw there were superhero games or like pulp games, oh, yeah. or I was, I was just like, and that is, you know, oh, you know, there's a James Bond game. Really? And that, you know, sort of caused me to dive in. So I think like everybody or not everybody, but a lot of people in my, you know, generation of gamers, I started with D and D, but I probably graduated beyond it a little faster than some other folks did. Mm -hmm. And I always still played D and D and loved it, but I was, you know, quickly on the eye out to try to get gamers to try like, Hey, let's play top secret be spies or let's play uh, justice incorporated and do this pulp stuff. Cause I really love Indiana Jones. That was a, you know, that was a lot of fun. And I, I think that also kind of probably was somewhat responsible for getting me ultimately into game design. I was exposed very early on that you can use games to do a lot of different things. That's yeah, that, that's very similar to my thing. I like I loved D&D &D when I first tried it. I started on 3.5 mm -hmm. 
And, you know, it was a fun experience. I, I loved the heck out of it. But I really started the deep dive in once I learned that, oh, there are other games that do other things. Uh, my, my wife had basically the exact same experience. When she was in high school, she started and played in in a small town in Wisconsin. And mm-hmm. she was like, oh, that's, this is cool. And this is really neat. And then somebody said, oh, we're going to run Star Wars. And they're like, oh, cool. Um, so what are you going to like, you know, adapt the system and see like, no, we're just going to use the Star Wars game. So he's like, wait, there are other games. <laughs> other games? It's like I can play a Star Wars game. And then of course, from that out, and of course, then it just spirals. Once you realize, you know, out there somewhere, there's your favorite genre that's got a game. Um, and there might be a few we're missing, but I mean, most of right. them are covered. Well, and, and like that, that was decades ago. Yeah. And now there is your favorite game and several variations and, on what yeah, your favorite I mean, game could be. You know, like the genres are covered. And then of course there's, you know, system elements. Like some people really love the dice pool systems and some people really hate them and some people really love the sort of you know dramatic editing fate point you know narrative control and some people can't stand it and it's pretty much you know it's pretty well covered these days and you know i think that we're still filling in the niches but and then of course with the you know the the advent of kickstarter and crowdfunding you know people can say you know i picked up some really great ones in the past couple years where people have said i really want to do a game about this and i can't really put this in the stores and compete you know, on a larger sense, especially with sort of the, the realities of the gaming industry mm-hmm. being a small operation, but I can put this out if I get this money and, you know, we've got some really fantastic games out of that. Oh, that's what I love about crowdfunding is you, you have an idea, you have a thing that you love and you go, I'm pretty sure I'm not the only person that loves this. Yeah. And you're right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, that was uh, the, the last game I, we did via, that I did via crowdfunding through Vigilance Press, Tian Sha. I was saying, I know there are fans of Kung Fu and Wuxia films out there that aren't just me. And, mm-hmm. you know, I took an idea that I had sort of dusted off and kind of put down in around the 2000s when crowdfunding really wasn't a thing. And I was like, I've got this idea, but I don't have the resources to do it. Yeah. You know, the, the yeah. resources don't exist for me to do it. So it'll just be this, oh, wouldn't it have been nice idea? Oh, I'm and, sure. I know so many of my listeners remember the days from comics or gaming where they did yep. the old ransom style oh, of yeah. crowdfunding, which was so messy was, and inefficient. Uh, it, like, it, it's changed the game completely. But, like, yeah, though, though I have to say, uh, I think that there's probably a good chunk of Kickstarter and crowdfunding that loves a, a pretty big debt to Greg Stolze. <laughs> for coming up with yeah. the ransom system and uh and and greg's a greg's a great guy and oh, he's yeah. incredibly talented huge innovation like and it, and it was just you know he, he's innovated so many things internally in gaming and then that that idea was i mean and i admit when he first kind of post posited it oh i remember I recall him sort of asking do people think this will work and i was like i think it's theoretically could work i mean i wasn't particularly like a huge booster of it i wanted it to work right um but i was very skeptical and then <laughs> It, like it, it worked you know maybe not maybe not as smoothly as sort of modern crowdfunding does well that's sort of a microcosm of the entire industry yes <laughs> in its own way well and speaking of crowdfunding let's let's get to the subject okay. at hand Excellent. let's talk about blue rose yes. uh which is a game i have researched this game a little bit mm-hmm. um i know the basic trappings of it okay. but uh not everybody in my audience has fair enough so let's catch people up to speed what is blue rose right. blue rose is at its heart a uh romantic fantasy game um that we uh originally put out under the true 20 system which is sort of a uh, stripped down streamlined uh third ed system Mm-hmm. And now we're going to be bringing it back under the age system, which is our Dragon Age system, Fantasy Age, uh, Titan's Grave. Uh, age has been getting a lot of traction, yeah, uh, this yeah. year. And I'm the age, and I'm the age developer, so I've been obviously 
juggling a lot of that. Um, but Blue Rose is a romantic fantasy game set in a world where the, the sort of core realm that it focuses on, though there are other realms, is this uh, kingdom of Aldous. And it's a mystically sort of active community where there is a uh, mystic protections in place through both this sort of spirit entity that sort of oversees the monarchy and everything, mm-hmm. and also a, a special scepter that's been sort of imbued with power that the people in power, at least when they take power, right, are suitable. They're not corrupted. And it helps generate sort of a sort of, you know, a more optimistic kingdom. Mm-hmm. And uh, then, of course, you know, there are other nations. There's a sort of um, horse clan sort of uh, tri- indigenous sort of culture to the west. And then on the east, there's sort of a, a theocracy that has some issues with magic and some some good reasons for it. You know, they might be a little intolerant of people using magic and such, but they are um, they're reacting to something which is in the undercurrent of the setting, which is in a weird way. It's post it's like a post apocalyptic society in the sense that. There was a horrible empire that ruled the world. Okay. And everything fell apart as, as the people rose up. And then these kingdoms were built up on the foundations of that sort of ruin. So it's not post-apocalyptic in the sense of like, you know, Mad Max, but right. it is in the sense that there was a great event in the past where people were oppressed and they were living under oppression. And these various kingdoms have, you know, sort of risen in the ashes of this and they've mm-hmm. tried to find a way of living and they've all develop their own different ways. And uh, in addition to that, north of Aldous is the last stronghold of sort of the old lords, sort of the weakest of the old sort of shadow lord mm-hmm. bad guys is still around. Okay. Um, and he's the, the Lich King. He was, you know, he was definitely the weakest of all of them. So he's right. an incredibly powerful, evil sorcerer, bad guy, but, you know, he's still just running one nation and sort of, you know, more, it's less of the world spawning, you know, I'm going to summon up an army of demons and more of a, I, I'm a threat politically and militarily to you, but you can fight me. Right. And that's right. sort of where we find the setting when it begins is in a place of sort of, you know, and it, and it is a, I want to say sort of a vaguely Renaissance without the gunpowder sort of tech level. Okay. And that it is definitely not sort of the dark age squalor of some, you know, fantasy settings, which I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I love a lot of those settings, <laughs> but we want, but this is definitely different and it's modeled more off of, Sort of an early Renaissance feel of, you know, a lot more in the terms of education, uh, a little bit more in terms of social programs and such. And people have nicer outfits. Yeah, pe- people do have nicer <laughs> outfits. Um, and then the magic is is also a little more psychic. Okay. Which is sort of, again, drawing from that romantic fantasy. Yeah, You're, let's let's yeah. actually investigate romantic fantasy yeah, but, for because the, the setting has a lot that's familiar probably to everybody listening because right. we all have experience with fantasy. Fantasy is really ubiquitous right. now in the cultural yep. language. Everybody understands it. What distinguishes romantic fantasy? You know, there's a lot of discussion on what that is, and not everybody always agrees. <laughs> we don't need to define that, right. but we do need I, – I, I want uh, my listeners to understand why Blue Rose is unique and why okay. they're not going to find this in their standard D&D setting That'll books. be easier. Um, romantic fantasy is, uh, you know, drawn from a subset of, of fiction mm-hmm. that is largely defined as – a little more optimistic, definitely more personal and social in its focus. Uh, and, you know, drawing from works like uh, authors like Mercedes Lackey, Tamara Pierce, uh, one of my personal favorite uh, book series that I would say sort of is romantic fantasy would be Ellen Kushner's Sword Point series, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, 
don't know if more people have read that, but they should because it's really great. And uh, the idea of mixing sort of traditional fantasy and adventure storylines with something that's a little more emotional, social, you know, uh, inclusive. And that would be what I would say sort of at its, at its heart romantic fantasy is I also think, and this is something sometimes people don't always, it's also kind of a throwback to some of the earliest fantasy literature in the sense that it's, you know, uh, it's, you know, Arthurian. It's very, you know, grandiose sort of early, you know, oh, there are grand romances and there are grand friendships and there are mm. so much of what you do is defined as your bonds. It's less about what you earn and what you, you know, gain and what you acquire and more about who your friends and your comrades and your loves and your hates are. And, you know, those emotional resonant notes are a little more important than in sort of a more D&D sort of roving adventurer. So, you know, a little less Conan and a little more, um, though Conan had his, had his moments um, <laughs> of being very emotional as well. But a little less Conan and a little more, I would say, sort of through Musketeers. You know, I, okay, I, so yeah, like we have our fan, uh, foundational fantasy elements for role playing, uh, you know, coming from Conan, coming from Swords right. and Deviltries, coming yeah. a little. I, I would actually say what, what you're describing to me sounds a little bit closer to Lord of the Rings, where mm-hmm. the fellowship. It, and like the yes. bond, especially between Frodo and Sam, is paramount, and that's yeah. essentially the pillar of the story. Right. And and again, we you know, we also like the Arthurian literature, the bonds of the various knights and kings, and mm-hmm. how how and the and the ladies and how those characters were connected. Um, you know, Rance Three Kingdoms, the bonds of those of the the heroes in the story. You know, again, uh, um, Aldous and Blue Roses as a setting isn't particularly Asian themed, but you see that a lot in sort of Asian fantasy. Is, is the idea of, it's a lot less about how much gold did I have or did I stop this monster? And it's a lot more about like, did I help my family? Did I help my friends? Did I help my clan? Did I help my, you know, my brothers and right. my sisters in arms? Somebody asked me for like an inspiration, uh, recently and I, I sort of named some of my favorites, but I also said, you know, don't neglect, uh, things like, you know, like, you know, take Raphael Sabatini and make it slightly more gender inclusive, you know, for writing for a more modern <laughs> audience. And you've got a pretty good idea of what, you know, romantic fantasy is. Right. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot more about, you know, I will get even with my brother who betrayed me and I will, you know, and I will save the, the, the person I love and I will stop the evil monarch from his evil plot. And again, it's, it's very Dumas, it's very Three Musketeers. It's a lot more like the grandiose epic fantasy. So yeah, I, like I'm starting to see now when I create a D and D character, I have a pile of stats that I impose a backstory onto. Right. And it seems like, to me, Blue Rose is, I will have a character who is a pile of motivations that I am applying stats (laughs) to. Right. So, yeah, so it's basically a different philosophy of character building and story building. And And I think that is... Very interesting yeah. and very unique. And, and, you know, and, and I've having run Blue Rose campaigns, I'll say that, you know, um, there's nothing that precludes somebody from just showing up and saying, I want to play a fighter. Right. Um, I, one of my best characters, um, and in one of my campaigns was a guy who just said, I kind of want to be a paladin type character. And so he made a, he made a warrior and he started taking some abilities. Like, I have this ability that lets me heal and I have this ability that lets me sort of like, you know, ward off evil and, over a couple sessions he said i'm I'm starting to think i see where my character like what i want to do right you know like who i care about and what is important to me and you know by the end of the game he'd like join this knightly order and he'd you know he'd develop some severe strong social connections and he'd you know he'd become a very sort of like self-sacrificing heroic character but he started as a guy with a sword who wanted to you know just sort of heal folks and it kind of goes back to, you know, I mentioned Conan and said it's not really Conan, mm-hmm. but I, I think I can make the argument that it's more like Call of Atlantis. 
Okay. Because when Howard wrote Call, a lot of his stories were much more political. And there's actually one of the more famous Call stories is about Call meeting this girl in a garden, this slave girl, and finding out that she's in love with this noble. And that there's a plot to keep them apart. And it turns out there's a plot to assassinate Cull as the king because he hates slavery because he was born into slavery. And the, but slavery is the law, so you have to follow it. And the whole it becomes this crazy romantic intrigue about two star-crossed lovers and the king who brings them together <laughs> and how he you know, ultimately involves him basically breaking down a social inequity and then, you know, staring at the power brokers who ran everything and said, you know, with this Axi rule, you know, if anyone comes in, you know, if, if you want to stop this and you want to bring back this oppressive regime, you're going to have to go through me. And while that's not exactly Blue Rose, one thing I love about it is that you could totally do something like that in Blue Rose. Well, actually, I mean, one of the uh, foundational archetypes that I see that as the the person starting out being like I want to be a badass fighter mm-hmm. there is, in so many stories is a badass assassin gets sent yep. after the party yep. decides he likes them better right. <laughs> and then starts to fight the evil king too and and to me like that's what blue rose is is doing you you have this character who can interact with the world the way a normal oh, yeah. D&D character would but you get pulled in by what the system wants to do and the system yep. wants you to you know, tell oh, yeah. a story and about what your character it, thinks. If I if I run a Blue Rose campaign and a player came to me with that exact concept, I would be like, great. That's not <laughs> even hard to work in. You know, you work for Kern, which is sort of the bad guy Lich King kingdom. Mm-hmm. You've been sent to kill like the nobles or maybe the queen or someone. And, uh, you know, as long as you're willing to, you know, work with the other players, you know, as long as you're willing, you know, have some conflicts, but work it out. Uh, yeah, we can do that. You know, and then maybe the character switches sides. Maybe he falls in love. Maybe he just decides it's a better way. Maybe the only reason he's a badass assassin was because he's some part of some brainwashed order. And once he finds out that, oh, it turns out that, you know, my superiors lied to me. I mean, all the standard tropes for that can be used. And, you know, that's, I think, another thing that people sort of, you know, with, with Blue Rose and some other games like it, they get really on the thing. It's like, oh, it's so different. I'm like, nah, it's not really it's that different. It's not that different. Yeah. yeah. I, what, what, actually, one of the... Uh, I guess not even a criticism that I heard. Green Ronin has been very uh, adamant about what ambitions they have for for Blue Rose, who they want it to appeal to, and how you guys want to have this system add to the ongoing conversation of the role-playing community. Uh, And one person in a forum post uh, wrote... Uh, that's great. I totally understand what they're going for, but I don't, I still don't know what I would be doing in a Blue Rose game. Mm. And I think, uh, just because a game is trying to appeal to a different subset of people who might mm-hmm. want to play role playing games, that doesn't mean it totally changes no. what, what you can and might want to do right. in a role playing game. Uh, so we're still people having yeah. adventures. Uh, though I will say, you know, I, I also certainly, I've certainly had games like that. Not necessarily Blue Rose, but I've had games where I look at it and I go, I just don't know what to do with this. This is even really cool. And so I don't definitely fault somebody for having the issue of like, I, I think it's just, it, it's all about getting your brain around it. And, you know, some people can and some people can about certain topics. I mean, I know there are things that I look at and go, I recognize this is really cool. And I don't see how this would work. Right. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, either because I know my group or I know the types of games I play or I know myself. I remember at one point when Dogs of the Vineyard came out, which I think is a really cool sort of indie game and a uh, really interesting concept. And people were talking about all their crazy, you know, like moralistic tales and, you know, oh, this character, you know, one of my characters like burned this character at the state because he was a witch and whatever. And, you know, because he's the arbiter of law, it was objectively right and whatever. And I'm like, well, that would have been the end of the game right there for me because I would have shot 
my fellow player <laughs> for murdering this poor innocent with no evidence. <laughs> and somebody came in and was like, but, oh, well, yeah, but that's totally valid. I said, I recognize that's totally valid, but that would have ended the game <laughs> because either I would have gotten killed or they would have. Right. And it would have been, you know, it may not have ended the overall campaign, but it certainly would have been a real stopgap to what was going on. And, you know, and I've known other people like that. I have a friend of mine who is a amazing player when anything has sort of a modern bet superheroes and you know we're playing feng shui right now and she's just diving right into it right and but she's tried to play fantasy stuff and she enjoys it but she just like I, she's like i don't get it mm-hmm. and she just doesn't get it and you know, i've tried to explain to her it, you get it it's fine you totally understand this stuff but there's a disconnect there right and it's it's fine you know it's and i think that blue rose generates that disconnect by putting these sort of romantic fantasy onto a logo uh, on the label but we you know, we want that label to appeal to people who are fans of that but there you know there's a recognition that people are going to look at that and go well, I don't like romantic stuff right right or, right or in my head romantic stuff is different than what it is you know what I think it is and so well, I can't do that and you're it's it's unfortunate it's sort of you can't necessarily serve every person equally at all times uh with regards to things like that you know you have to pick a term Right. That defines it. Right. You know, you have to pick a idea. Um, you know, there have been ideas for, for the setting. You know, we're, we're actually advancing the setting from its initial release 2000, when 2005, 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to have about 10 years pass. And, you know, there are certainly ideas that we thought would resonate better or worse with people. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, when we advance history, it's like we're only going to, only some of those things are going to happen. Um, and it doesn't mean somebody can't take the original, you know, timeline and do their own thing. It's just yeah, that's you, how you, we're doing. <laughs> you couldn't stop people from doing and that if you and wanted I wouldn't to. Want to. So and why would you want yes. to? Uh, so yeah, let, let's talk a little bit about how the settings evolved because okay. I'm sure there are some people who are listening to this who have played the old Blue Rose yeah. and love the old Blue Rose. And uh, well, what exciting tidbits do you have coming up for them? Okay, so Steve Kenson and I have been sitting down and talking a lot about, um, you know, there was originally a thought because, you know, we we wanted to sort of expand our audience of so just keeping it the right, way it was. The same. Like, here was a setting. It's a fantasy setting. There's no particular need to advance the storyline. But we decided, nah, we want to have some fun with it. And, you know, then we talked about drastic changes, you know, things that were really different like do we need a new king or queen do we need a big shake-up do we need some sort of like political redrawing of borders and barriers and and other issues and we were like well no i mean there is a little bit of an ain't ain't broke don't fix it element um so we kind of in the middle worked for you know this is going to be a different realm than people saw in blue rose but it's going to be an organic gradual growth because only about 10 years have passed okay so the queen will be older. She won't be the young new queen that everybody, you know, was not sure about. People have got a chance to sort of see how her, her how her reign will be. Okay. And some people love it. And they are like, oh, my God, she is just, you know, she is the person we wanted. And some people are going to be like, we're actually very concerned about this and this. And there's going to be sort of a, a political uh, faction. You know, not to the point of, you know, constant infighting and backstabbing, you know, like like fall of Rome level. Uh, it's not Game of Thrones. No, it's not Game of Thrones. But but there is going to be political dissent. And there's going to be things that, uh, you know, uh, Jalen in particular, the queen, has done that they might work. And right. they might be a really good idea. And one might argue even that they were necessary because of other historical events that have happened. But they could go wrong. And we're going to kind of leave some of these things open to the idea of, you know, we don't, we don't ever want to say this person over here is doing something bad, but me, you know, they mean well, but they're totally misguided. 
But we also don't want to say, oh, yes, but they're perfect and you can't question them. Right. Um, right. Right. Well, that, that is something that's, I think, a misconception that a lot of people have had yeah. about Blue Rose is that the morality and not even morality. It's just everything is strictly black and white and there is right and wrong. Yeah. And it sounds like not only has that always existed in Blue mm, Rose, right. but you've updated it yeah. to put the forefront. Yeah, there are shades of gray. It sounds like you have two people who might be right and just have different opinions. Yes. Which is the sort of complexity that I almost never see well, in any fantasy setting. Well, and we we do have sort of the light and corruption mechanic for magic and mystical stuff that, you know, you can definitely go down a track that is so self-serving and so harmful to others that right. you can basically sort of turn to the dark side. Yes. Um, that can happen. So, so in that realm there is a little bit of you know absolute morality but i don't think that that's really incompatible with how we view our modern society right that right. people think look certain things are just wrong <laughs> or certain things even if they're not like horrible we all kind of agree that they're not necessarily positive and helping everyone right you know there might be self-serving they might be and then when you interject certain parts of the setting like for example eh, a merchant who's a little selfish uh you know may not be so bad. I mean, he might be kind of annoying sometimes to deal with and negotiate with, but if someone is say, you know, but a, but a noble who's been elected and is supposed to like oversee the waterworks or whatever of a particular area, if all of a sudden he starts taking bribes to, to ignore, like, you know, dumping things into the water or whatever, well, now he's causing harm. And right. that's the, and that's the difference is that, you know, he can totally disagree with the queen's policy on sorcery or whatever, and, you know, they could actually have a perfectly logical reasons why they feel that way. But the instant that this character starts doing something that hurts people or causes, you know, or, you know, derives pleasure from cruelty. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, that's where, and so there, there's an, it's sort of a, so it's sort of a multi-layer where political and ethical disputes can happen and be completely, you know, a, a good example that, you know, we have the theocracy of Jarasong, who it was the anti-sorcery, you know, a little more traditional in its sort of general society. They aren't the bad guys. They, they are explicitly, <laughs> and I will say this for people who think that they are, they are not the bad guys. They have particular views. I may personally not think much of some of their views. But they aren't like Kern with the Lich King and like, you know, undead slave masters and, you know, crush the will of the people and, you know, experiment on people to create monster armies. They're not doing any of that. Right. They're, they're just living based on what they think the best way to live is after suffering under the oppression of this sort of sorcerous regime in the past. And they think magic is dangerous. Right. And they think that they need really, really strict rules to keep everybody in line and safe you know they need a strong theocratic leader to keep the people focused and guided and you know they look at you know aldous and they go yeah you know you guys are you guys are gonna eventually you know yeah it's great everybody gets along and everybody's all super huggy and wonderful but it is going to cause corruption because you're going to slide from inclusivity to the fall of rome and abandon and right. they're not necessarily right in fact i would argue <laughs> they're probably wrong but their view is not completely unreasonable based on their history. Right, right. So you still have a world that is full of basically good people yeah. that can just happen to disagree right. with each other. And I, I think that is a thing that uh, everybody should take note of yeah. uh, w going into the setting is there. there is good, there is evil, but that doesn't mean we get to lose the wonderful complexity yeah. that we appreciate in other games. Well, I mean, if, you know, people are saying like, well, who are the bad guys? Who do we fight if everybody's good? I'm like, well, first of all, everybody's not good. 
Um, and second of all, you could fight somebody who was corrupt without, you know, they met well. Right. And even setting us all aside all that, I mean, there are the, the shadow gates, which are sort of the yeah. mystical you areas. You still have a person called the Lich King. Right, exactly. <laughs> and you've got demon, you know, basically, you know, demons, we can call them shadow spawn, but they're demons. You've got cults who worship these ancient powers. I mean, it, it's, you know, it's setting where Cthulhu is not actually out of place. You know, <laughs> we, we call him, you know, we might call him something different. He's one of the, you know, maybe one of the Exarchs, one of the old sort of ancient evil fallen angel type characters we have. But having a secret cult that worships one of those and wants to bring about, you know, the corruption and downfall of society, like a really good bad guy for an extended campaign. And, you know, there is, and, and people, so when people are like, what do you do with it? I'm like, well, I mean, uh, that's the kind of stuff you can do with it. Or, or you can all play like, you know, members of the Queen's Guard who are trying to foil some political intrigue and, you know, very affair of the necklace, three musketeers. I mean, there, there's, you know, again, I, I, I liken it to a lot of ways in that way with a slightly different sort of focus like D and D. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that definitely, I feel that like yeah. just, just hearing all that, that there's, all sorts of possibility for me to find familiar territory yeah. in this game. Uh, let's diverge from sure. familiar territory. Let, let's go into something that is definitely unique to this world, mm -hmm. uh, at least amongst the other popular fantasy systems. Mm. Let's talk about psychic talking animals. Okay. Yes. Because that is something that I have definitely <laughs> wanted in my role playing. I mean, I, yep. I have played sorcerers uh with familiars before right i've wanted them to be parts of the game yep. but this is a world that is built to support that where somebody can come to the table and be like i want to be a talking goat and you like, can go hey we, we can make that happen we can make that happen we don't currently have rye goat rules but i'm working on expanding the riding rules so <laughs> you never say never um yeah the uh the the uh the talking and psychic psychic animals are called riding in the uh, or rye animals in the setting and it's basically they're kind of spirits in human form okay. and they're sort of animal spirits in human form or human is about right, corporeal form um, and they take the form of various animals and they have psychic powers so they can communicate and they are fully sentient fully you know they are recognized in most nations as just being you know people Right. Um, some, some people, some nations might have slightly different views on them, but everybody pretty much recognizes that it's like, oh, this cat who can talk to me and reason and like is an excellent chess player is probably, <laughs> um, you know, it's just like me, except he's a cat. Right. They bought, they often sort of interact with human society by bonding with someone. Okay. Um, so that's another thing that, you know, characters can have. It's not mandatory that if you play one of these creatures, you have to bond with somebody, but usually you do. And you, oh, cool. and so the idea of like, you might have, um, for example, in my, my Blue Rose game, we had two members of sort of the Alden Rangers who are mm -hmm. very much sort of Lord of the Ringsy Rangers. They go out and the, they fight bad guys and monsters out in the woods. And they were a sort of a buddy cop duo. I mean, for lack of a better word. And one of them was a sort of swashbuckling, uh, you know, human who had like prophetic dreams, which caused him to like sort of take up his destiny on the road. And the other one was a psychic talking wolf. And, <laughs> They became partners and over time they became best friends because they're partners yeah. and they eventually sort of bonded and that was their, you know, and again, you know, they had romances and other relationships amongst themselves, um, you know, friendships, but it, you know, that was their bond and it was, uh, and so riding have a tendency to do that. Um, they're actually in, uh, Rezia, the, uh, the sort of horse lands, the, uh, rye horses are incredibly important in most of the big chieftains are bonded to some incredibly ancient prestigious line of, of rye animals. And so, you know, you might have a situation where, you know, the big chief of the war clan comes up to you and, you know, he, 
he talks to you and then he looks at his horse and his horse like, you know, says he's telling the truth. And that's the, <laughs> you know, you can have those sort of scenes. In original Blue Rose, we had basically rye cats, dolphins, wolves, and I want to say I'm missing something and I'm just like blanking on it. But I think those are the three big ones that I'm thinking of right now. Um, and I'm sure I'm just... Did you mention ravens? I feel like ravens, ravens weren't be... in there, but f- people have yeah. And and yeah. And, and, and for those thinking Tamara Pierce, there's got to be a crow in those, there. For those of you listening, his eyes just went woo, like surprised, and I'm like, yeah, right. So that's something <laughs> we'll be looking at. Um, but uh, they're most they're all mammals. I remember that. And the uh, we're going to be looking at expanding that too uh, Very because we've cool. had a lot of people ask like, I want to play a rye bear. I'm like, okay. You don't play a rye raven. I can see no reason that wouldn't work. Um, a rhino. A rhino. I mean, it's right in the name. <laughs> so I'm gonna, I'm, we're going to look at uh, – we're, we haven't pinned down that list yet, but we have mm-hmm. been definitely thinking about sort of where we want to go with it. Uh, I'm a big fan myself of the uh, – because this is something I don't see a lot, uh, and this is what I loved in Blue Rose. I love the anthropomorphic animals that are not physically anthropomorphic. I, yeah. I so often see the wolfman – or the mm-hmm. Catman. And that's great. There's yeah. some really cool archetypes. But I've always kind of been a fan of sort of the more fairy tale style thing of, well, he's a big wolf and he talks. Yeah. Or he's a big wolf and he can like, you know, he's he's smart. Or yeah, he's a big cat. Your golden compass. Right. Your, and like e- even, uh, you know, most magical girl stories. Yes. Most uh, Pokemon. Yeah. I come from the Pokemon generation. Right. Uh, and I think I feel like we've been hurting for this. We've been uh, choose waiting you, for it. you, cat. And exactly. yes. Is- we understand bonding yeah. is a relationship right. pretty well. And and the uh, the rise of, of anime, particular types of anime yeah. in society is definitely something that also is sort of a, you know, looking at romantic fantasy. I mean, I would say like things like um, Scrapped Princess and some other sort of uh, uh, animes would definitely sort of be if people were looking for inspiration for Blue Rose and wanted something a little different then you know I don't know if, you know, I, I kind of just want to watch a few things to get a feel of it it's like there's a lot of good anime inspiration out there um, I'm just thinking of Sailor Moon you've Sailor got Moon, those two yep. cats and uh, the Silver Millennium yep. Kingdom that yeah. seems very very familiar to yeah, me definitely and, and, and you know, there is there is something to be said for like you know playing a group of like the you know the Queen's Finest who are all like you know take their names from the various stars and constellations and wander around and fight evil with their magic powers. Oh I mean, God, that would be a amazing. completely doable. Um, and, uh, you know, and that's another thing too about the, the world. And this is another thing about being a little more positive. Uh, you know, since you have things like psychic communication with animals and you have intelligent animals and you have psychic powers that let you do things like let plants grow and, you know, you know, how, you know, control the wind or whatever. Um, you can kind of get away with not worrying about some, problems that would plague a non-completely modern society right and it allows you to like you know uh one character that i i played in a blur briefly was a uh it was kind of a layabout to be honest and he he was good at two things he was a he was a uh he was a he was one of the settings sort of martial arts traditions so he's mm-hmm. a pretty good fighter um which you know he'd learned was a family thing but he didn't really have much interest in it he mostly just wanted to sort of drink and you know sleep around and basically have fun and he got sort of embroiled in adventures and uh, his big thing was he was born with a natural talent to control the wind. And so where a more ambitious person would have done something with that, he signed on to a ship and basically and sat around and the sail. <laughs> he sat around and drank all day and was basically there in case they needed wind in case. So like they were never stuck anywhere. Right. And so he got like light duty and got to go all these places. And then he got oh, basically, man. you know, 
boiled into that. And I, and I think it, like, and at one point, um, one of the players didn't show up, but he was like, I'll be like your ride dolphin buddy and we'll go have adventures. And I was like, that'll be awesome. And that's the kind of, you know, way in which these things work. Um, but yeah, the, 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 the animals thing is definitely something that I'm looking forward to, uh, to exploring. Um, I, I really liked, uh, and another thing too is that all ride and get basically a basic psychic communication feed. Mm-hmm. So you're never stuck with the, I don't speak with anyone else. You know, right. you, you all, everybody will be able to talk with everybody and communicate. Um, I've learned a long time ago, unless it's very vital to the plot, there is usually very little positivity of the no one can talk to each other. And with regards to the gaming group, right? Uh, language barriers and stuff might be fascinating in play, but you know, it gets old pretty quick. If you know, I mean, st- the sort of Star Wars, nobody can understand the Wookiee except one guy aside, which is pretty cool there isn't a lot of times it's it can be kind of frustrating too yeah i think i think it's a sort of fun that you have to intentionally seek (laughs) out it should not be imposed on you and that's kind of the same sort of thing like if somebody wanted to say oh well you know the the riding only really ever talks to like his buddy and you know he tends to ignore the rest of us because he doesn't know us or he's not sure he trusts us. So great, <laughs> we have to you have to relay messages through me. I'm like, okay, sure. That if you want to do that group, yeah. that would be a lot of fun. That could lead to some really fun sort of I am Groot sort of style comedy, um, where every growl or everything means something except the you know the oh yeah wow. And now the more I'm thinking about the system, this is your entry point for fantasy Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh yeah, totally. You you play the uh, you play the uh, Gamora is the former uh, Vata, which is sort of like the uh, suffered under the king uh-huh. sort of vaguely sort of uh, experienced some prejudice because of their history of serving the bad guys uh you know she's like the the badass assassin character there you've got uh, rocket obviously being an animal um you know Gr- groot's a little different because you know there are no plant guys but you might have like another sort of creature or something yeah yeah i mean and, like the relationship between rocket and groot is clearly a bond yes. uh, as oh, as totally. defined by your system yeah. which is really cool <laughs> Yeah, but, but and again, it's not a, not exact mapping, but you can totally do the and, and again, it's a question of like, well, what are you going to do? It's like, yeah, a little, a little good, a little bad, a little bit of both. Yeah, and that and, works and, actually and, like fine. it totally accommodates that. And I, what I love about that analogy and that uh, connection between your system and this property is, those are some great moral yep. grays. But they still support the relationship-motivated uh, romantic fantasy structure. Oh, yeah. You don't need to cut out that complexity in order to embrace this genre. You know, one thing that I would sort of encourage to people who look at sort of the, the setting and say, oh, well, you know, I like I like all this, but I, you know, I feel like it's a little hypocritical or I feel like it's a little this or a little that. I mean, I'm not saying I necessarily agree with that view, but, you know, it's, it's a view that people have. It's valid. Yes. Um, you know, don't go for the whole crazy, like, I'm going to just tear the system down. It's like. Attempt the Guardians of the Galaxy treatment. Attempt, <laughs> attempt the, I think you guys mean well and you're basically good folks, but you're kind of stuffy and you got too many rules. And so we're going to be this sort of brand of lovable rogues who are kind of mm-hmm. out for ourselves. And then, you know, as, and then if you're, if you're the GM running this, like throw the Lich King, throw like, you know, Exarch demon lords and, you know, lieutenants and evil vampires and zombies and stuff at them and have the, you know, the heroes say, Okay, look, I still don't really want to follow all the rules, and I still kind of want to have my fun, but I have come to realize that, you know, these people are like, people are dying because of these crazy, crazy jerks. So we're going to go fix things, and then, oh, all your crimes are forgiven or whatever, it's great. And then, you know, you're, then you kind of reset back to, you know, well, so, okay, well, we're, we're pardoned, that's great, we're all clear. Um, <laughs> so what if somebody has something that I, that I really want? Well, that would yeah. be, that would be stealing, that would be a crime. Well, no, no, I don't think you understand, I really want it more I than they do. It. <laughs> 
<laughs> and so, and, and again, you know, you could do it with Guardians, uh, you know, that's also your uh, sort of lovable rogues. There also is nothing to say that you couldn't, um, dial back. And actually right. one of our, uh, one of our, uh, framework, our campaign frameworks, I think is going to address this in the Kickstarter. You could dial back to, uh, you know, well, hey, we had this time where the, the, the Dark Lords ran everything. You could play during that. You could play resistance fighters. You could play, you know, Ooh. if you want to have a character who is a little darker, you could have the character who's like, look, I'm not a good person, but I'm not a monster. And monsters are running the show. Yeah. So I'm going to help you defeat the evil overlords and stuff, recognizing that I am probably not the guy you should be putting in charge afterwards. You know, for people who want to play the really dark, scary sort of, you know, Wolverine Punisher character mm-hmm. in a game, that might be all. And, and again, I would, and that would be a lot of fun. You could play sort of revolutionary. You could be, and, and you know, you, if you wanted to ask them, you know, questions about, you know, what must it have been like to live under that tyranny and what did you have to do? You know, you were the resistance. What happened then? Yeah. And, you know, and, and that's, and, and then, then again, people are doing, um, you know, various other, uh, campaign frameworks and stuff. We have some freelancers working on things and it's going to cover everything from certain groups to certain styles of play, uh, certain ideas. And I think that's, you know, I'm not going to claim that it's everything for everyone. And I'm also not going to claim that the setting <laughs> doesn't have its own feel and style. Right. Um, but it's definitely broader than some of its more vocal critics have made out to be. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I, I think it is so easy to essentialize things because mm. Blue Rose provides a lot of opportunities right. specifically that other systems yes. don't provide, but they do it passively. Right. Uh, so I, I think it's easy to go and focus in on like, no, this thing that the system wants to support has to be the whole thing. Right. And if you're looking at anything like that, you're kind of being silly. Right. Like I, 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 playing all the role playing games that I've played and all that we featured on the show, all the listeners know you can do anything with anything. Right. There are just certain games that decide to focus in on different aspects yeah, and totally be better at them yeah and speaking of those aspects (laughs) let's talk about relationships and specifically relationships within the party okay um when we talk about these friendships and possible romances Mm -hmm. clearly that's something that's the forefront of the system something that you guys want to focus on how are you supporting people mechanically to Uh, do that it's it's it's, your timing is fortuitous because i just (laughs) sent steve earlier this week my draft of my relationship rules um they started as, and they will be included as, um, a, uh, or in some form, mm-hmm. um, a, for a Dragon Age book that's coming up. Because Ooh, anybody cool. who's played the Dragon Age video game knows that, knows that it's huge. It's yeah, huge. Party relationships huge. are huge. And we're doing a book called Faces of Thetis, which is going to be a bunch of different NPCs in the setting. So we thought that'd be a great time to address interpersonal relationships. Um, but since we're doing Blue Rose, it's also a great time to do that. Yeah. And, we're, we're using that, I'm using that as a basis and we're in the process of sort of changing them. There are going to be some thematic changes to the rules. There are, um, you know, there are going to be things that are very appropriate to sort of the Dragon Age IP that are not quite the direction we want to go for, for Blue Rose with regards to, you know, how we want to present relationships. I mean, and, and everything just, you know, from larger th- philosophical elements to just simple things like how many relationships do we realistically want people to have that have a man- mechanical benefit? Right. Or, or, or how large of a group can you have? You know, can you have a relationship with your party? Is that a, is that an easy, you know, easy couple bonuses occasionally, or is that too much? You know, is, and that's some, some things we're still currently working out the balance of, you know, of course. you know, you can, you know, you can probably be in love with the queen and sort of, especially in sort of a sort of chaste Arthurian sort of, you know, yeah. we all love Guinevere <laughs> sort of way, but how about the kingdom? 
Right. You know, can you, is that, is that too amorphous? And we're still kind of working out the details on that. Now, of course, you know, the dirty little secret is that once we've set up our defaults, they're tweakable. Right. You know, if once we've set up the sort of the default presentation, um, you know, there'll be a sidebar or a discussion about, look, this is how we set it up. If you decide you want to let people shrink it down, want to require your players to shrink it down, or you're going to let them grow their scope, that's totally fine. Yeah. And, um, but, but what we're currently aiming for is a significant, sort of dramatically appropriate, but not an exhaustible bonus for when something is appropriate. My, my current philosophy, and this may change slightly. So like not quote me on this though. I realize I'm not going to say something quotable. Uh, <laughs> well, is, I think everybody knows that it's yeah, developed. Right. So, um, is the idea of providing situational bonuses and sort of an exhaustible pool that will recharge periodically. And when an event comes into play where something is, you know, Oh, I, you know, my, my, my best friend is about to get killed. Right. I'm going to leap to his defense. And, you know, it would be really useful right now if I could pull out, uh, and one of the things the age system have is stunts that you can use to basically do like cool things on the fly. It'd be really useful if I could pull this stunt in, but I don't have the points to do it or I don't have the ability to do it. Um, well, you do. <laughs> because you can draw from this. And that, and again, that's our current thinking. Yeah, I'm a big yeah. fan of that. There are some sort of, much like fate has a fate point economy and some other games have like, you know, and, uh, Cinemac Houston had a drama point economy. Right. We kind of have a stunt point economy. It's somewhat random how the stunts come in, but there's sort of a mathematical tendency. And if we provide too many opportunities for people to bring in stunt po- points outside of that, it, we have to be careful. Yeah, it'll collapse. It, yeah. It's just it's just a matter of not wanting to to make things too shaky. Of course, yeah. So we're working on balancing that, but the um, but the general idea is that you know relationships will be defined by sort of a generic term, not like a, like a you know a, a title, a sort of general term or description, and then like a sort of intensity. And so you might and and uh, we're going to leave most of that as open as possible for players to define. So and encourage people through examples uh, to be as simple or as complex as what they want to. You know, somebody could be like, you know, uh, you know, John is my best friend. That that's that's a perfectly right. acceptable relationship. Um, you know, or somebody might be like, John is my childhood friend, but I don't know if I can ever forgive him for what happened to my sister. Right. And it's course. like, well that's interesting. Um well what happened to your sister? Okay, here's my backstory. Okay, cool. Uh so that could come into play when you're trying to save John because he's your friend or when you don't trust him or notice him doing something strange because you're always kind of keeping one eye on him or, you know, maybe that could even work against you, hit you in some ways at times. Um, we're also trying to explore, and this is a new conversation, so this is really an early development, um, the ability to sort of allow and not punish the sort of loner character. Where Ooh, there are... Yeah, where like, there well, are, you've got Wolverine who's yeah. like kind of... In name only, he's, like, lo- like, he's like, actually less of a loner he, than the he's like the world's. He's like the world's greatest and worst team player simultaneously. Yeah. Uh, people are always like, "Oh, he's a moody loner." It's like, eh, read old X Men. He's he's, he's hanging a, out with Kitty Pride a lot, and he's 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 a gruff team player. But he's it is and, and his and his method of helping his friends is usually going off on his own and doing things he feels the only he can do. Yeah, and we're trying to sort of support, but that by sort of supporting it in different ways, where characters may have um, the ability. And again, this is really preliminary. This is the idea that Steve said, how do you feel about this? I'm like, I think that's amazing. Let's talk about it. And that was where we left it. Um, 
but the idea of sort of not punishing sort of the loner character. I, but, I, I love that because yeah. that, that's, I mean, that is present yeah. in these stories. There are people who say they are a loner yeah. yet still hang out with the group all right. the time. And, and when I'm playing a character like that, yeah. I feel like there are plenty of games that don't help me do that. And and one thing I'm sure we're going to do, like I can't say the exact mechanics, but I almost can guarantee is that we will make it very easy for a character playing a loner who has decided he's all in now because he's found someone that he loves or he yeah. found somebody he cares about or he decides he really does have a cause he believes in to allow those characters to sort of buy in easily. It's not going to be a you snooze, you lose with sort of relationship benefits where if you've been sitting back there playing sort of the standoffish, you know, stoic <laughs> character, somebody's not going to look at you and go, oh, well, too bad, dude. You know, yeah. we've yeah. been getting all these cool bonuses and you're out of luck. Um, <laughs> there's going to be a way for you to catch up. But also, you know, some upsides and downsides to being on your own. Right. Um, the other thing we're going to do also, and I mentioned the stunt system earlier, is there are going to be some sort of social stunts. We have role-playing stunts already, which are things like uh, swaying the crowd and getting a really good, like, insult that embarrasses someone. So we're going to keep all of those from Dragon Age. But I'm also looking at maybe uh, wanting to do some things that are sort of unintended consequences socially and otherwise of events. So in addition to the, oh, I got stunt points on a roll and I get to spend them on these cool things, in addition to I do more damage and I you know get out of the way faster, the spell comes off really, really great. There are things like, yeah, it turned out that I really impressed somebody when I did this, you know, or I actually did very well, but I embarrassed someone mm -hmm. through my action. I showed them up and now, you know, oh, it makes this other ability cheaper to buy, but I have... You know, but now someone is, is angry with me and sort of allowing for those sort of social uh, elements to come into play. You know, oh, if I'm trying to help someone who I care about, this might be easier. Um, I'm still working on exactly how to do this. I'm, I'm, I think there is a very tricky line between, right. you know, supporting mechanical role playing and taking things away from people who just want to run a role play things out. And I think it's hard and I don't want to go too far one way or the other. So that's been sort of a, a sort of interesting design challenge. Well, that. when I think of things that I see as inherently romantic, I, I realized quite recently that one of my big first entries into role playing without ever playing a role playing game mm -hmm. was uh, reading people's fan fiction oh, yeah. and discussing characters, you know, sort of analyzing totally. different stories. Totally. Um, and most certainly that people, uh, things that people do when they play games like dragon age, yes. the, the, uh, uh, on a console or computer or they play Mass Effect yep. where you have these scenes between characters that is not in the middle of action. Right. And that's where the real meat of these relationships like the original Dragon Age all of your relationships are evolving while you're walking around town mm -hmm. or when you're at the campfire with yep. people. So I, I guess the question that I have is are you supporting that or have you made the decision to specifically support those out of action moments rather than just having the background web of these relationships affect the action. Uh, yes. And, um, uh, one of the thing also, again, like I said, we, we already have sort of role playing stunts and exploration stunts in play. And we're going to add some of those, uh, sort of because when the, when the sort of first set of Dragon Age came out, we focused on magic and combat stunts yeah. and sort of abilities and stuff because that was the, that's, 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 that's what we threw everybody into. <laughs> right. And then as we put out the other sets and we've since collected those into a unified core book, we started exploring things that we see, that you see in the video games, yeah. uh, social in interaction, uh, role playing interactions, uh, maneuvering politically, et cetera. And we're definitely going to be trying to include, increase those. Uh, one other thing that I have, again, speaking of, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Uh, 
my first thing I did as Dragon Age and Age developer um, mechanically was I wrote a set of organization and sort of realm rules for Dragon Age uh, where players could run and, you know, sort of coordinate their own groups. And so you could be a member of your own guild or your own, you know, knightly order, or you could even like run a kingdom if you were powerful enough. Uh, we're going to definitely be adapting those. Cool. So in addition, very cool. So in addition to the standard, you know, like smaller scale politics, there are going to be opportunities to do games where you say, uh, you've been put in charge of this province. Like you're, you're, you're a no, you know, your character's a noble who's been overseeing this product province your character is the knight who's been sent to protect them uh you're the you know the the you know the guardsman or whatever who's been doing this you're all playing your characters who are all attached you're a diplomat who's been assigned to this sort of embassy who's here um you know everybody's got your organizations and in between all of the personal role playing and sort of combat and action role playing there will be the sort of political elements and very that's that's great and and again it's going to be an optional overlay you know no one's going to be forced to have to figure <laughs> out what their night you know if you want to play just roving adventurers no one's forced to you know to be interact tied on that down level. No. by a kingdom yeah um but yeah we're, we're definitely looking at expanding more of the social elements while not like making it that you have to use them to sort of play socially but we are definitely uh, another thing that's going to come in too is just you know gm advice yeah. No, we're going to have a lot of, we're going to talk about, you know, how to incorporate cool, uh, social elements into your games, how to talk, you know, what, why, you know, why having, you know, a game set at a fancy ball to, again, take a Dragon Age Inquisition example. Yeah. Um, you know, is really could be really interesting. And admittedly, that it does end with a fight, but it, but, yeah, but, I mean, but, but there was I can a lot think of to do before. So many ball scenes yeah. in, in so many pieces of yep. fiction where, that's great. And, uh, there are a lot of role playing systems yep. where you can do it. It's just the game is not going to support you when you do that. And again, I go back to the swashbuckling fiction. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, I go back to movies, uh, you know, everything going, you know, everything from more modern stuff all the way back to, uh, Adventures of Don Juan, the Old Three Musketeers oh, movies, yeah. Scaramouche, where, yeah, there's some amazing fight scenes. I mean, Scaramouche has one of the best fight scenes i think in film ever um but it also has these scenes where you know the main character is performing on a stage and he's trying to fool like the people watching him that he's not this wanted outlaw and he's trying to sort of get close to the one he loves and you know interact with these other characters and it's like this is you know pretty dramatic and it doesn't actually directly lead to combat Right. And that's, and of course, the whole, you know, sort of like I said, the affair of the necklace sort of elements of Three Musketeers, where, yeah, there's plenty of chases and sword fights, but there's also a lot of, you know, romance and interaction. And, or, or even going to things like, if you want to go something like really far afield, and I'm actually a big fan of taking things that don't seem like they fit and see if you can and make yeah, them fit. Yeah, see how you can fit them in. Um, you know, you want to do something where it's like, uh, yeah, we're playing uh, members of the Sovereign's Finest to, you know, protect the realm. And it turns out that we think that one of our own has been uh, corrupted and we think he's gotten really high up into the echelon. And so we have to go through and find this sort of long, slow burn, you know, espionage game. Yeah. Where we have to find out who's been corrupted and it, you know, and it turns out that one of our agents was like, you know, imprisoned by the enemy. And it's like, it's a wait, wait, are you doing Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy? Yes, yes, we are. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And, and the idea of just sort of doing that with, you know, anything you want to do. I mean, like, and it, or, you know, so for something more action packed, you can also totally play Alden James Bond. 
Yeah. You know, where it's like, you know, they, because we have the, we have the organizations like the Blue Rose Knights and the Sovereign's Finest and, and the Alden Rangers. And it would be, you could totally have a guy who's like, I'm, I'm the guy who goes into like enemy territory and I, you know, shut down the crazy sorcerer's super weapons. And I, you know, I, I, I root out the, the, the noble who's been corrupted by evil sorcery. I cannot imagine anything better than James Bond who hangs out with a talking unicorn. I know, right? This is great. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you've got your own little fema- <laughs> or or James Bond that like is a talking cat. That is a talking it, cat. Yeah, because he could totally be. You know, that would totally oh, work. Oh God, I love it. <laughs> I love it. Uh, but now uh, we're about an hour into the conversation. Okay. Usually that's when I wrap up the show. Mm-hmm. But I want to point out to everybody listening that we have talked this long without addressing any of the social motivations for the game. <laughs> Which is, uh, I, I think, should be noted. Fair uh, enough. But let's let's tear into that a little bit. Uh, you guys at Green Ronin made a specific call uh, to people who are gay, bisexual, yep. uh, lesbian, transgender, yep. um, all the gender queer spectrum, yep. and said, there is something in this game for you. Yes. And this game is specifically welcoming you to the table. Yes. How are you guys, and you don't have to reveal things that, you know, obviously right, are right. under wraps, but, uh, you know, how are you guys going about doing that? Uh, well, the first and foremost way that we're doing it, at least from the design team perspective, and I, this hasn't really been talked about. This is just kind of how it worked. Um, uh, Steve Kenson, who is openly gay, so I don't think I'm spoiling anything, um, <laughs> and has been for years, he is, and is a, an amazing designer, um, is handling a lot of the sort of reworking of the setting from the original, which he worked heavily on. Right. And, uh, you know, I've got my ideas. I've got my personal, one of my personal things, and this has always been a thing of mine. Um, cause despite being a, you know, like, you know, pasty white dude, <laughs> I grew up, uh, in a very ethnically diverse sort of environment. And so I'm the, always the, the voice of, you know, we need more black people. So that's, you know, <laughs> we need some, Hey, we need more, you know, we need more like, you know, of this particular indigenous group or this particular ethnic ethnicity. And so that's been sort of my, you know, focus of looking at some of these groups and mixing those up. Um, but Steve has been looking at it and why I'm actually sort of calling this out is because, um, Steve at one point said something to the effect of, I want to make it inclusive. Obviously I want to make people welcoming but I'm a little leery of, I don't want it to come off as being, you know, pandering or it being like all about this. Right. And, and then his ideas were so great. And I mean, I, again, it was like, yeah, I don't have anything to add to that. Like, you know, he would, I mean, I'd occasionally I'm like, that, how about that? That's a good idea. But mostly he would have these, a really good approach for it. And, and there've been some ideas from the earlier game that we're going to re-examine. Uh, there's sort of a, uh, there's sort of a transgendered ish group. Uh, ethnic, the sort of not ethnic group is not the right word, subsection of the populace in the game that you know we we think was handled okay, but we think but that time has passed, <laughs> yeah, and we think could be handled better. Uh, you know, some other elements. Uh, Steve has been working up some interesting sort of philosophy about um, you know, bisexual bisexuality and uh, and homosexuality and heterosexuality as a spectrum. And you know, again, we're not talking about like you know, this is not going to be ten thousand words in your book. Right. This is going to be a very, you know, targeted discussions, mostly from the standpoint of what do people in this setting think about this? Stuff? Yeah. Again, how- we're covering, we're covering all of this yeah. in the last 10 minutes of our conversation. Right. So while, right. while it is not everything, it's part of the discussion well, and, and, and we and can talk and it, about it. And it's amusing to me because when we had the pitch to bring this back and I was actually the one who said, you know, it, it was an amusing pitch because it was the easiest pitch I've ever done. I said, <laughs> let's bring back the rose and everybody said, yes. And that was. <laughs> 
and Steve was like, you mean like this pitch I did a couple years ago, but we were too busy to do? And I said, yes, that. that. And so, you know, we'd already had, like, I was coming sort of late to the table anyway, not realizing I was coming late to the table. And what ended up uh, being the case, so that's sort of, I think, how Steve and I, I mean, you know, Steve and I end up both on it. And um, the interesting thing about it was, is that, like, you know, I we had this discussion privately, but I don't think he's going to be embarrassed if we talk about it. Uh, he was mentioning, we're talking about the spectrum of sort of sexuality with regards socially. And he was, you know, he was trying to make it a nice, concise, but appropriate and inclusive discussion. Right. And he mentioned, he said, you know, I really, and he said, it's really important to me that I have like proper representation for, you know, people who are, are on the spectrum somewhere who aren't, you know, it isn't just straight or gay or right. bi. He said, I want to make, he said, and he said, and I say that as a guy who is, you know, in my mind, completely gay, you know, and, you know, being a, you know, unlike TV can sometimes be, you know, you can totally have a relationship with like a member of your same gender. And then that does not preclude you from having a relationship with somebody else. And you don't need to balance it out. You don't need to worry about, you know, there's not a, well, you're in the gay camp now of like TV characters. So you have to be stuck that way now. And, you know, that was a thing that's, uh, you know, we're definitely thinking about, um, exploring things, you know, that people want to, uh, you know, polyamorous relationships, other things like that. And the idea of sort of presenting them again is a, this is the way the setting is. This is the way people are in the setting. This is how they view it. Are we all good? Okay, yeah. <laughs> now let's move on to demons and monsters and talking animals. And and I think some people are threatened by that by seeing it just sort of ca- – I, I think in some level, some of the negativity we got back in the day, and I think we will get some of now, is the sort of matter-of-fact casualness of how we present it. And that's kind of how we're approaching the setting, no, at least I, in my viewpoint, of, of sort of a, look, nobody cares in the larger sense. Like, everybody's super happy when their son gets together with the person he loves, but they don't actually they recognize yeah you know they may, they may even have a societal term for those relationships just so people can identify who you're talking about but there is no you know larger stigma slash thing it's like it's you know it's it's sort of the law of the land i get yeah, I, I think not denying things and and specifically not denying them by including them in the game is a great step. Yeah. I, I feel. I feel like that is that's what you right. should do. Uh, I know personally. Th- there's a lot of frustration from mm-hmm. bisexual people that uh, it is a sexual orientation that people dismiss. Oh, bisexuals constantly. Are, are, you're right. They are. They're either invisible or they are slutty. Yeah, exactly. and those are your. Those are kind of your options <laughs> with bisexual characters. Super frustrating, and it can be really frustrating. I think for folks particularly it, it, it creates these weird sort of intersections. If all your bisexual characters, if they exist are kind of like, I'll sleep with anything with a pulse. Woo. Then you get, def- you understandably get upset about that. Yeah. But you don't want to turn your upset into that, into slut shaming. Exactly. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with like having multiple sex partners as long as everybody's cool with it. And so, it really creates these weird sort of landmine type fields. And I think that's the other reason why we're trying to really focus on sort of matter of fact. And it's also the reason why I've been mostly staying the hell out of Steve's way with this. Yeah. I mean, I have my ideas. I have some insight, but I've, you know, he has, a, he has put a lot of thought into this. I could have given my feedback and he is much more involved in communities that would have more insight. And so I, I sort of say, here's my idea about this. What do you think? And he's like, I like that. Or he'd say, actually, you know, I see that. I know what you're saying, but I have, there's always a chance this might be read differently. I said, you know what? I hadn't thought about that. That's a great point. 
um, which is one of the great things about working with people. I think there's a lot of frustration and uh, people who feel like you avoid the conversation completely when you don't understand something. And what I think I like about all of this and this whole discussion that we've been having is you guys aren't turning away from it and you're not trying to define it for people. You are putting it in the world and letting people do what they want with it, which is what role playing games should always be about. And if they want to do nothing with it, that is fine. That's also, I mean, as I, like I said, I, we were talking about this before the show. Um, I worked on a game, uh, which I'm going to slightly pitch, uh, Tian Sha, which is sort of a Wuja Kung Fu fake game. And in it, I put a sidebar where, you know, I, I felt like there needed to be a sidebar about inclusivity and gender relationships and, you know, gender and sexuality. And it was basically a one page sidebar, uh, with a picture of, uh, a, a homage picture to the, uh, victory in, japan day with but with a female soldier coming home and kissing her his her girlfriend's Mm -hmm. life my premise there was simply you know how much do we deal with this you know gay people exist transgender people exist bisexuals exist you know all these people exist they're real they're real people they have feelings they should be respected well how much does that matter at your gaming table it's like i don't know how much does it matter about your gaming table yeah you know don't tell don't ask don't look to me to tell you i i can't i wouldn't want to and i can't um, what I can do is I can tell you that, you know, for those of you who need permission, for those of you who find yourself in that, you know, kind of old school gaming horror story of, you know, which, which occasionally happens of, well, I wanted to play a gay character in my game, but, you know, my GM was kind of, you know, eh, and he, you know, pointed out that it's not any, that not mentioned anywhere in the rules. And so he doesn't have to do it. It's like, here's me mentioning it. Here's me saying it's in the setting. Here's me saying it's in the rules. Here's me saying that it exists. If it never comes up. Because you just want to kill monsters and have fun. And, you know, I really understand that. You know, it's like I'm, you know, in my day job, I'm an attorney. I don't want to play an attorney in a game. (laughs) That's not going to be fun for me, you know, unless I'm like maybe Daredevil. I take up some, you know, frustrations. But generally, I don't want to play that, you know, and it's profession is not the same as sexuality, but it's, but the premise of it's the person you are every day, but it's the person I am every day, you know, and I don't necessarily want to be that when I'm gaming. And I don't mean that in a sense of denying who you are. I mean it as a addressing the things you must address every yeah. day. You know, because for example, and, and this is, you know, it's not an exact analogy, like I said, but I'm, I'm doing the best I can, which is as an attorney, I'm bound by certain ethical codes. I don't necessarily want to have to explore those in a role playing game when I have to explore those in my daily life. Right, right. And like, and, and you know, and while it's not the same, there are some parallels with regards to how you have your fun. Of someone saying, look, I had a guy sneering at me the entire time on the train over here <laughs> because he didn't like the fact that the way I dressed because he thinks I dress too girly and he thinks I'm a guy or whatever, you know, yeah. or he thinks that oh, I was talking to my boyfriend on the phone and he got, you know, and I got dirty looks. It's like, I don't want to deal with that when we're sitting down to have fun. Let's just order some pizza and have a good time. And that's totally cool. But for the folks who want to explore the social issues, who want to deal with that, or just want to be recognized yeah, as being, you know, as that being a theme and that being fine, that's what we're, that's what we have it there for. Yeah, it's there and it's possible. And, it's, and I, I think that's. And, and it's not new because D&D 5th did that too, folks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for, for folks who are like, oh my God, it's just a big deal. I'm like, it's really not. It's I mean, not. <laughs> I, I will, I will brag for a second and say Blue Rose did it first, but I will not like. 
you know, b- at least in the original version. But you know, Fifth Ed has that wonderful, very simple yeah, paragraph. Pathfinder Path has like Pathfinder I- a they've job. got a trans iconic character. They've got uh, all sorts of gender spectrums. They've done uh, a great job. Um, you know, most most of the games uh, from like, Evil Hat and Fate, uh, mm-hmm. a good chunk of Onyx Path games, uh, and World of Darkness, and such. You know, I, even even games that I think you could argue, you know, where well, actually argue them where I know that the you know designer is a little more conservative leaning will have some wonderful like gay people exist deal yeah you know i mean and they're not all of them but like but, but i've seen that popping up more and more and you know blue rose is just more sort of saying okay well exist deal now let's move a little farther what would a society that's a fantasy society mm-hmm. that's like that that hasn't had that stigma be like over a long period of time how would those things change and i think the answer most people will find is in noticeable, significant social ways, but not so much that you can't relate. And that, I think, is a great summation mm-hmm. of why this game is cool. Yep. Uh, you know, people have heard us talk for an hour. They know what they can do. They yep. know a little bit about the world. They know the different options Blue Rose offers. And at the very end, you know, we we uh, talked a little bit about uh, the social message and how that gets built into the setting yep. in a cool way. Exactly. So... Heroes listening right now, Blue Rose is up on Kickstarter. Yes. If any of that sounds like something yep, you're into, definitely. you can you can go out, you can get it, mm. you can be a part of it. Yep. It's already funded, but you you can uh, very much say, this is a thing that I want to play and bring it home to your table. And, and just a you know, quick little uh, mention about saying it is already funded, so yep. you are going to be able to pick it up you know, in stores and stuff later on, uh, but there are some, st- um, all of the Kickstarter goals for this are all going to be book upgrades. Oh, and yeah. so this is not going to be a Kickstarter where you're, uh, and I have nothing against you because I've, you know, participated in these myself and they're pretty cool, <laughs> but this is not going to be a Kickstarter where, oh, I got the book and I've already got the book and I've got these stretch goals that maybe I'll see eventually. Um, you know, it's going to be extra pages of content. It's going to be, we've already got a new cover, uh, art. We've already got, I, I want to say we've done interior color art already, I believe, or that's come uh, really close. I think we hit that. I think we I hit think that we at that. 30. I'm not sure. Um, but like, you know, there's still hardcover to come and there's still other, some other upgrades, uh, some more campaign ideas and pages. So, you know, if you're thinking about this sounds really cool and I want to get in on this, um, and you're thinking about maybe like, well, I don't know if I want to kickstart it though. Uh, I will note that, you know, there there is some advantage to doing it because yeah. people kickstarting it will grow the book and the end product you're, that anybody's going to be able to go get in the store is going to be bigger and better for the more people that do it. And also if, you know, and it's it's our high-end goal that we've announced, but if you're a big fan, of, if you're not a big fan of the age system, but you like the Fate role-playing system, we are going to be doing a Fate version of it if it hits 100,000. Yeah. So, uh, and from the same folks who did our Fate Freeport uh, game, which was, I personally thought was a fantastic uh, convergence so yeah so there there's that but that's that's my pitch of like please give us money yeah yeah uh, <laughs> I, I i think there are plenty of reasons uh that that people could find into this mm. uh this is a game that you can play with somebody who has never played a role-playing game yes. and there is something there for them and you know you can say that about any role-playing game mm. it's there's specific groups of people that might not be interested in role-playing but might might want to get in on and, this. And sort of, and sort of one final point of caveat about that too is since we are using the uh, adventure gaming engine, the age system, uh, that is the game system basically with some adaptation that you're going to see on Will Wheaton's, uh, Titan's Grave yeah. podcast. It is the game we saw in Dragon Age. It was designed to be played by and both veteran and entry level gamers. Uh, from the get-go, that was a Chris Pramus when he originally designed the system. That's what he wanted. Uh, we're still keeping that sort of philosophy and, 
So there is the element too, if you're thinking about trying to get your friends and get into gaming and you think this might be something that sounds like they might like, uh, you know, there's also the advantage of being able to, you know, like pop on Titan's grave and it's not going to be the same setting, but you can say, oh, that's how the rules work. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Uh, You can sit somebody right in front of YouTube and they can pick up this game real quick and easy. And it's not only it's yeah. And again, and it's not only, oh, this is how the game is. It's like they're even going to subconsciously pick up things like, oh, so I roll these three dice and I I roll these three six added dice and I go through this number. It's like, oh, that's like the new show. Yeah. Where, you know, I mean, not that it's hard necessarily pick up a lot of mechanics, but there is a sort of fun little buy in on that. Yeah. Well, Jack, it has been so much fun. Thank you. It's been really, really fun. So thank you. That's it for Critical Success This Week, Heroes. Be sure to join us next month for two new installments where I'll finally get to listener questions. If you liked what you heard here about Blue Rose and you want to own a copy, be sure to head over to their Kickstarter. There's a link in the show notes and there are only three days left to back it. It's already funded, so you'll definitely get your book. Once again, thanks to all of our generous backers on Patreon, Critical Success was able to make a return because I actually have time in my schedule to do it. If you want to get involved and perhaps hear some great bonus audio, all you have to do is is head over to patreon.com slash one-shot podcast and put down a donation. If you pledge $5 a month or more, you'll get access to the secret archive. Critical Success is a joint presentation between Paracosm Press and Peaches and Hot Sauce. Peaches and Hot Sauce is a Chicago-based comedy network with tons of great articles, videos, and podcasts for you to enjoy at peachesandhotsauce.com. Finally, that music, which is right now swelling up over my voice, is Be Your Own Pet with Adventure, courtesy of Infinity Cat Records. See you next time, heroes!